Welcome to Signs of the Times, a look at recent world events from around our kitchen table. You're back with us for another Signs of the Times podcast. Uh, This week, along with myself, Scott and Henry, uh, we're going to be talking again with Laura. And our subject this week is um, cults. Well, when people generally think of the word cult, they they think of a, a group of people under some kind of a charismatic leader, and they're under some form of generally under some some form of duress, some kind of a manipulation, psychological manipulation. They generally band together somewhere uh, in isolation, or and they keep themselves themselves generally removed from society. But the interesting thing about this definition of a cult, which is generally widely widely accepted in society, is that it's uh, definitely a modern phenomenon. Uh, taken from the wikipedia.com uh, site, the definition there is that the term cult in the pejorative sense was first adopted en masse in the 1960s. And indeed, prior to that time, uh, the term cult did not have any negative connotations at all being generally used to denote any belief system, i.e. specific definition would be a popular fashion followed by a specific section of society or something denoting a person or thing popularized in this way. So before the 1960s, this is what a cult was. It was just a general term for something that was popular uh, and a little more than that. But since the 60s and since specifically since certain events during the 60s, the term has taken on an extremely negative connotation. Yes, this is true, and uh, in my research on the subject of cult, one of the things I dug up was that one of the first really big blandishments of the word in a pejorative sense occurred in August of 1969, uh, August 9th, in fact, and that was the night that Charles Manson, uh, Charles Manson's groupies, killed Sharon Tate and... Rosemary and Lino LaBianca and several other people at the Tate Mansion. And when you read the old newspaper clippings about this, and this was, you know, 30 years ago, you see that it was called the Charles Manson cult. Now, Charles Manson clearly was, in a pejorative sense, a uh, charismatic individual who used drugs and coercion and manipulation to uh, to control people and to cause them to do something that was very heinous and, and very much antisocial. Um, not too many years afterward, we had the Jonestown Massacre. Jonestown was uh, promulgated widely as, as a cult, uh, never mind that it had started originally as a more or less standard Christian religion, uh, with a very large church and a very large following, as soon as they moved away and 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 began to live what they believed, they were branded as a cult. Uh, the problem with the Jonestown um, massacre is that when you do a little bit of research into it, and you don't even have to go very deep, you come across some interesting questions, which suggest that. Nothing is as it seems, that there was undoubtedly some very serious manipulation going on there by the CIA. It's been suggested that it was a CIA experiment, and uh, that may be possible. I, you know, I can't say. There's also the possibility that, uh, you know, one part of that experiment was simply to create a very negative connotation 
surrounding the word cult for use today because, of course, we have the most dangerous cult in the world uh, <laughs> trying to blow the planet up because they want to initiate the eschaton in Israel so that Jesus will come and save them. Praise so, the Lord. Yeah, praise the Lord on that one. So it seems uh, rather coincidental that they have managed to label just about everybody else as a cult, uh, but not themselves, and that this is used as ammunition in this day and time uh, to protect them and to uh, control, marginalize anyone else who believes differently than they do. So those are just uh, two of the most heinous uh, cult-like events. I mean, there was, of course, Waco, but uh, well, both of those events were there was a lot of uh, questions left unanswered as to what really happened. I yeah, mean, at the time there was a lot of um, speculation and allegations that, uh, as you mentioned, that the the Jonestown massacre was essentially a, a CIA um, experiment in, in the line of MK Ultra, the the well publicized and, and factual uh, yeah, psyops. Uh, yeah, uh, CIA government. Uh, our CIA program involved with mind programming, and uh, one of the most uh, notable questions that arose about about the Jonestown massacre was the fact that at the time the the massacre occurred in um, Guyana, and the Guyanese coroner at the time said that as many as seven hundred of the nine hundred and some members of of the Jonestown group showed signs of having been shot. Uh, that they didn't actually commit suicide. That so they, they didn't drink the Kool-Aid. No, exactly, and that's and that's you know. So th- that raises some serious questions about about what the whole point of Jonestown was, and whether it was just this spontaneous um, gathering of people who were all generally cult-minded. Let's say. Well, uh, if they or, weren't, or, if if they were shot, that would suggest that uh, uh, that the psychological operation assuming it was such, to try to get them to commit suicide was ineffective. On the other hand, it could be that they just simply wanted to set up a cult, do a little psyops on the whole rest of the world, and to create such a massive impact on the, on the, on the psyches of the American people that, that a cult could go so far and it could be so evil and so terrible. Because once again, it uh, it protects the so-called mainstream Christianity or the evangelical Christians from from being included among that number. And if you look at the number of people who have actually committed suicide because they've been a member of a cult, you know, how many are there really? You, you've got this idea, cults are associated with people being manipulated and they'll end up taking their lives uh, like Heaven's Gate, like Jonestown. The solar cult in Europe. The solar cult. Yeah, and actually on, on Wikipedia they have a list. And there were six cults listed that were basically known to uh, have been cults where the where the members committed suicide. And then they had a list of maybe four or five others where they they weren't quite sure. They said maybe there was, you know, there were a few people in, in, in these these cults uh, that, that committed suicide. But basically there are, there are six no, so there's in, six in known the cults. whole history of the world, six of them. So. And yet, when you think of the emotional reaction that people have to the word cult, that far it's a reaction that far outweighs the actual present danger to anybody from a cult. If there's so few people that have actually been convinced to to 
commit suicide or have been coerced to commit suicide. Well, but we're going on 2,000 right now that have been coerced to commit suicide by the cult of fundamentalism. <laughs> so. The the idea of, of uh, cults and, and their members who have committed suicide obviously is uh, supposed to be in our minds. We're supposed to make the connection between, oh, my God, they all committed suicide, and obviously they were mind-controlled. And generally the definition of a cult includes the idea that the members are mind-controlled. Yet we've done a podcast, uh, as our regular listeners are aware, uh, on the subject of mind control. And in fact, if you were to walk up to someone on the street, you know, just walk up to the average Joe and say, are you aware that uh, the CIA, for example, has actually developed mind control techniques and has done experiments with LSD and mind-altering drugs and... Driving people to jump out of windows. Yeah, and and the, the Jose Delgado story with the, the, the small handheld uh, transmitter mm. that uh, basically remote electrical stimulation of the brain that can cause changes in behavior and, and that sort of thing. Well, if you go up to the average Joe and you talk about this, they'll think you're crazy. And yet you say the word cult and everyone goes, oh, mind programming, yeah, it's real. And so there's this this severe disconnect between... You know, it's it's there's there's an obvious emotional association with the word cult that it, it it automatically makes people believe things that normally they think are crazy, which is rather interesting. Well, here we have an interesting quote from J. Gordon Melton. He says, "Cults are claimed to be deceitful. They are claimed to be harmful to their members. They are claimed to be undermining American values." Cults are claimed to be just about every bad thing in the book these days, and with the pervasive images of Manson and Jim Jones hanging over us, any group that is called a cult is immediately associated with those two people. And there's another quote from the same source, J. Gordon Melton. He says, My working definition of a cult is a group that you don't like, and I say that somewhat facetiously. But at the same time, in fact, that is my working definition of a cult. It is a group that somebody doesn't like. It is a derogatory term, and I have never seen it redeemed from the derogatory connotations that it picked up in the sociological literature of the 1930s. So it seems that the real psyops was to create this negative association with the word cult in the same way that there is an extremely negative association with conspiracy theory. Uh, and it's really kind of a of a contradiction in terms or you know, talking out of both sides of the mouth at once to talk about cults on the one hand and then, you know, denying conspiracy theory on the other hand. Because if ever there was a conspiracy theory, it is that cults exist to do what the government claims that they exist to do. It's interesting that there's, a, there's an overlap there between uh, cults and conspiracy theories because quite often in uh, – in, in such cults, as most people understand them, there is the involved aspect of conspiracy theory, like they remove themselves from, from the world because there's very often claims by the leader or the charismatic, charismatic leader that, uh, that the government is out to do evil things against the people or the government. That, that, that Quite often there's a, there's a fighting the government or standing against the government element in, in such cults. So it's interesting that these two things overlap. Well, yeah, and that goes right back to what Melton said. It's a group that somebody doesn't like. So, from on the so, other... So the origin of, of the derogatory use of, of cults goes back to the 30s, and it was in the, the, the United States where it was used in kind of an infighting among Christian groups. Yep. Yeah. Yep, and that comes, that comes down to where it says, if, if you believe in it, it is a religion, or perhaps the religion. And if you do not care one way or another about it, it's a sect. But if you fear and hate it, 
It's a cult. That was Leo Pfeffer. As with all of these things that are the, the, the mass beliefs, there's, there's very little logic involved in them because I mean, we can generally say that uh, the modern, widely understood form of cult is that it's reserved for any group formed under a hierarchical structure or some form of coercion or manipulation of the group members exists. Generally, there's also some form of worship, uh, be it worship of the group leaders or some other outside personage or thing. Uh, the justification for worship or allegiance in cults is usually tied to the perceived or stated benefits or potential benefits to, to be derived from this allegiance or, or, or beliefs. So if you, if you think about all of that, that is a very succinct definition of modern-day mainstream religions, i.e. Christianity, Judaism, Islam. There is a, there's some form of manipulation uh, there's a f- uh, in terms of focus for, for worship uh, of a leader or a, some kind of person that, that the group members worship and that there's uh, stated or alleged benefits from such worship uh, to be derived immediately or, or afterwards. This is uh, a perfect definition of Christianity, for example. Oh, absolutely. So, if you believe strong enough and you pray right and you... Uh, if you go to church or you know any of a, a varying number and selection and order of, of of acts you are supposed to perform, generally requiring almost no effort, uh, I mean they can be faked quite easily, then you will certainly be raptured up to heaven and you will never suffer and and naturally you will also, uh, you know if you die rather than being raptured then you're going to go straight to heaven and it doesn't matter i mean you can you can kill as many people as you want right up to the last minute like constantine did and and be converted on your deathbed to to ensure your entry into heaven that's a cult and talk about psychological pressure and coercion you know you think about the the corporations in the united states that their owners are christian and they make people in the corporation dress a certain way. They can't have mustaches or long hair. Uh, if people express ideas that are outside the limits of what is acceptable, then they can be fired. I mean, you know, not just the corporate world, but I mean, look at the scientific community where, you know, you, you don't get funding unless you're doing a particular type of research. You have to build better bombs, uh, of course, you know, in, in certain countries, primarily the U.S., um, I mean, it's it's. God forbid th- you should build bombs anywhere else, because the U.S. will bomb you if you do. Exactly. I mean, there's there there's certain type of research that is allowed, and other types of research which are verboten. Society well, uh, is a cult. Indeed. Yeah. Well, well, along with like the 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 fact that there's no logic involved in in, in this understanding of cults, there's also a, a liberal dose of hypocrisy because, as we're saying, uh, governments or people who who um, go to these efforts to to demonize cults or small groups that don't conform to their wishes or etc. Governments use the same type of mind control or manipulation of the minds uh, of the population. Uh, to convince the population that cults are evil and the reason they say cults are evil is because the cults use manipulation, psychological manipulation. So they're using exactly the same thing to demonize cults that they claim the cults themselves are using and need to be demonized for. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Oy Which is like uh, the Bush administration saying that they need to use torture because the enemy, their enemies in the 
is holy that, war on terror. Is that not cultic activity? I mean, to use coercion, you know, torture, mm-hmm. to get someone to confess to something? I mean, you know, come well, on. That's when all the studies show that you can't trust any kind of information that you get under torture, and intelligence specialists know this. Yeah, intelligence specialists absolutely know it. It has been written about in psychological studies, and yet the Bush administration continues to torture people and lie about torturing people. Well, talking about cultic uh, kind of mind manipulation on on people and the population to get them to do things that are harmful to themselves, which is what cults are accused of, uh, George Bush used, um, as we have described here, Christianity, one of the biggest cults, to manipulate the American people, specifically American soldiers, to do serious harm to themselves in terms of actually killing themselves because it was George Bush that uh, claimed that it was God that told him to invade Iraq and I'm sure this had a, a quite a significant effect on a lot of uh, Christian soldiers or, or, or potential would-be American soldiers to, to lead them to go to Iraq where uh, over uh, 2,000 of them, or well we actually suspect it's closer to 8,000 of them are now dead. So these people are direct victims of cultic mind manipulation. Yeah. And we talked earlier about, you gave an, uh, a list of certain traits of cults. Well, I found another one uh, done by Eileen Barker, and she's got six items here. The first is a movement that separates itself from society, either geographically or socially. The second is adherents who become increasingly dependent on the movement for their view of, on reality. Third, important decision in their lives in the lives of the adherents are made by others. Fourth, making sharp distinctions between us and them, divine and satanic, good and evil, etc., that are not open for discussion. Five, a leader who claims divine authority for his deeds and the orders uh, given to their followers. And George the last, Bush. And the last is leader in movements who are unequivocally <coughs> focused on achieving a certain goal. And does that describe Bush to a T or not? Oh, boy. Nailed him. You're listening to the Signs of the Time podcast. This week we're talking about cults. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. A warm welcome to listeners all around the world on the World Wide Web. You're listening to Signs of the Times. talking this week with Laura about cults. Well, uh, just so you know, we have a little e- equal opportunity cult bashing here, let's, let's just mention that uh, 
you know, we're not focused on Christianity. We, you know, we we uh, willingly admit that Judaism and, and Islam are also cults as far as we're concerned because any group that claims that they have the hotline to the universal God and that their hotline is the one that has the clearest reception and, and what was said to them was, was the latest directive and they got the most recent memo, that's a cult. Yeah, and, and the only thing that seems to differentiate the monotheistic religions, uh, the reason that they're not labeled as cults is because, well, you know, they've been around for several thousand years, and so somehow this automatically makes them more accepted because people have known about them for so long that obviously they, they must not be cults, even if they fit the definition of a cult to a T. Yeah, talking about Judaism, there was an article from um, a couple of years ago in the weekly Egypt newspaper, Al-Aram, where Jonathan Cook, who's a British writer living in Nazareth in in Israel, he makes an interesting point about the similarity of the mind programming effects attributed to cults and the effects of mainstream religion. And in this case, he's talking about Judaism. He suggests that the reason the persecution of the Palestinians at the hands of the Israeli military continues unquestioned by the Jewish people is not due to the ignorance of the situation, but is instead dependent upon various factors, not least of which are the dictates of Judaism. And he goes on to say, It depends upon Jews passing through an education system that transmits historical and moral values of exclusiveness to the religious and the secular alike premised for the former on a biblical mission to be realized by God's chosen people, and for the latter on the overriding need to provide a sanctuary for a people blighted by centuries of persecution culminating in the Holocaust. He says it also depends on a military rite of passage to adulthood that cements Israelis to their society, itself perceived as their only protection from hatred, i.e. anti-Semitism, to which, if they are to believe their, their teachers, media and government, every Gentile in the world is susceptible. He says this is their unique fate as Jews, and Israel is their one and only insurance policy. He says Israelis who believe this, and almost all do, feel that they have no choice but to submit to the collective good. Not a universal good, one of values shared by all mankind, but a collective good reserved only for Jews. He says talk to a Jewish uh, anti-Zionist in Israel, uh, and this is a, these are a tiny number of people, barely reaching four figures out of a total Jewish population of five million, And he says, most of these will tell you how hard they struggle to overcome the Zionist training they were given from birth. Many say that they are still fighting to defeat their own racist assumptions to this day. Jeff Halper, who is an academic and leading Israeli activist against army abuses in the occupied territories, recently described to this author the decades-long process of unlearning his Zionist responses. Uh, And this is a, a most interesting point. He says, deprogramming is what he called it. The kind of thing we read about in the papers when vulnerable youngsters need to be revived from the dangerous ideas implanted by a cult. But he says, how can you loosen the grip of a cult when a whole nation is under its spell? And that is the question, because there are so many people under the grip of the cult of monotheism, the cult of of corporatism, the cult of globalization, and... You know, anyone who objects to Christianity, anyone who objects to corporate greed, anyone who objects to, you know, globalization at the expense of taking the lives of other people, somehow manage in this day and time to get labeled cult. I find that most interesting. And, and among the more interesting things that we have have done in, in recent weeks is, is to 
do a little research on this with the help of the material sent to us by Dr. Lobachevsky, who was mentioned in the previous podcast. Uh, Dr. Lobachevsky uh, is a psychologist. He's 84 years old. He began his career at the time of the changeover from Nazi rule to communist rule in Poland. And he writes in his book about how he and his classmates getting ready to graduate with their degrees in psychology suddenly had a new teacher one day. And this professor came in and began to indoctrinate them for an hour and a half once a week. And as far as they could see, he had no scientific knowledge whatsoever, but he was talking about psychology as though he did. After a bit uh, of investigation by some of the students, they discovered that he was this professor was not, in fact, even a graduate of a high school. The first time he had crossed the threshold of a university was when he came in and announced himself to be a professor. But, of course, he was a good party member and therefore qualified to dispense indoctrination. I have uh, that passage here in front of me, and he goes on to say, after what you've just uh, summarized, he was saying, after such mind torture, and this is listening to this guy's propaganda in the course, it took a long time for someone to break the silence. We studied ourselves. Since we felt something strange had taken over our minds and something valuable was leaking away irretrievably, the world of psychological reality and moral values seemed suspended like in a chilly fog. Our human feeling and student solidarity lost their meaning, as did patriotism and our old established criteria. So we asked each other, are you going through this too? Each of us experienced this worry about his own personality and future in his own way. Some of us answered the questions with silence. The depth of these experiences turned out to be different for each individual. And so they started wondering how they could protect themselves from this indoctrination. And, and one of the group suggested they get away for a weekend and they go to the mountains. And it worked a bit. They were able to get a, get out and uh, forget a bit about what was going on in their class. And it was the beginning of, of learning how to immunize oneself against this. And he goes on and he said, time also proved to create a kind of psychological immunity, although not with everyone Analyzing the psychopathic characteristic of the professor's personality proved another excellent way of protecting one's own psychological hygiene. And isn't that the truth? So any group that gets together to analyze the society, to look at it in terms of defining its, its descent into corruption and to try to maintain psychological hygiene in the face of uh, an ever-increasing descent into madness on this planet is very likely going to be labeled a cult. Or even, you know, it's not just a matter of analyzing society, but people can start with just analyzing individual people in society, uh, more specifically leaders within society, analyzing their words and their actions, and, and if those two kind of match up, you know, so... Um, but then there are real cults, and, and for example... Uh, uh, the ideas that have taken over American society and even to some extent the, the global society started somewhere, and this is something that Lobachevsky address, addresses in his book, you know, the, uh, Political Ponerology. And I think that uh, Henry's got that little bit about the type of individual who is most likely to be the founder of a cult and he refers to them as, as a schizoidal or 
schizotypal personality, which is a, a personality disorder. Uh, it's hereditary, generally. And uh, I'm going to let Henry just read that little passage because it's, it's very, very interesting. Schizoidal characters aim to impose their own conceptual world upon other people or social groups using relatively controlled pathological egotism and the exceptional tenacity derived from their persistent nature. They are thus eventually able to overpower another individual's personality, which causes the latter's behavior to turn desperately illogical or exert a similar influence upon the group of people they have joined. They are psychological loners who feel better in some human organization, wherein they become zealots for some ideology, religious bigots, materialists, or adherents of an ideology with satanic features. If their activities consist of direct contact on a small social scale, their acquaintances easily perceive them to be eccentric, which limits their panogenic role. However, if they manage to hide their own personality behind the written word, their influence may poison the minds of society in a wide scale and for a long time. And just to uh, let you know, the word ponerology is a theological term that means the study of evil. Uh, Dr. Lobachevsky is advocating that it is very important for people to study evil, to to uh, learn about the ways and means that evil networks take over societies, the way that evil networks you know, come into being, the types of personalities who belong to them, because this is one of the chief means of maintaining mental hygiene and being able to maintain one's own values. And, and when one starts slipping into the uh, I don't care or um, I'm just going to concentrate on, on keeping my own life straight and I'm going to ignore what's going on out there until it goes away, then right then they have lost the battle because there is, there is no way that they can possibly maintain their own mental state of good health. There's something really frightening in this book uh, where Lobachevsky is talking again about this period of immunization that they went through in university and they began to try to study the question. And he says that at the same time, someone guided by special knowledge apparently vacated the libraries of anything we could have found on the topic. This means that People know who they are, they know what they're doing, they know what their effects are, and they're trying to remove the information necessary that people need to have in order to immunize themselves from circulation. And to recognize them. Neocons and the mainstream media. Yeah. Yeah. He goes on to say, in, in spite of their deficiencies as regards normal psychological and moral knowledge, they develop and have at their disposal a knowledge of their own, something lacked by people with a natural worldview. They learn to recognize each other in a crowd as early as childhood, and they develop an awareness of the existence of other individuals similar to them. They also become conscious of being different from the world of those other people surrounding them. And you wonder how the political elite got together. <laughs> yeah, there's not even a necessity for a well-developed conspiracy theory because if you're talking about human beings or apparent human beings who are of this nature uh, from birth then and and they recognize one another from as early as childhood and they have special knowledge of how to manipulate and control mm-hmm. other human beings and they flock together they, they just like um, just like the the fat globules on a bowl of soup but in 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 modern society this has probably become a quite 
well refined and it's not just a matter of, of these people by chance finding each other but there's a system now where these people are probably when you talk about seeking the, out others of their kind well, mm-hmm. no, not even that but you talk about uh, like the big universities in, in the US where, where people are selected for political life you know where, mm-hmm. where, where, where graduates are selected by the people already in power as someone who fits the bill well, Lobachevsky talks about the fact that uh, throughout his experience and he and his fellow students who were ready to graduate as scientists uh, agreed among themselves. They made a pact, and, and, of course, other scientists came into this research project as time went by, and it went on for many, many years, that they uh, made the decision that they really needed to study the phenomenon that they were living through, that they were experiencing in real time to produce a body of work for other people in other times because they could see clearly from the historical survey that this had happened before and it would happen again unless this knowledge were collected and put into written form so that other people could have the advantage of reading and studying this in order to preserve their own sanity during times such as those we live in right now. So they graduated, they uh, formed their union, their secret uh, pact of research into the nature of ponerology, the study of evil, uh, on a wide uh, scale, which they call macrosocial, the political scale. And it seems apparent, exactly as Joe said, that once, once these individuals recognize each other and once they are drawn together, they then begin to actively conspire together, and because of their very nature, because they perceive normal human beings as other, as something different, as something to be preyed upon, uh, their natural tendencies to not reveal the nature of their conspiracy, because the, you know, as far as they are concerned, it would be uh, it would be like revealing a, a conspiracy to study chimpanzees to the chimpanzees, because as far as they're concerned. In normal human beings or chimpanzees, and I should make the point that uh, they established fairly early on that the ratio of these types of people to others, normal people, was 6%. There are 6% of them, and they manage to dominate and control and rule the world most of the time because of their extraordinary talents and abilities, their their ability to see the nature of normal human beings and how susceptible they are to being manipulated. For example, a very conscientious person, if anybody makes the slightest hint that they have done something that is, uh, you know, hurtful to another human being, will become, you know, so guilt-ridden that they are extremely easy to manipulate. Uh, the same thing with shame. If, if somebody suggests to you that, well, you shouldn't have done that. That's not healthy for the children. Um, whether or not there's any truth to the statement, that that conscientious individual, and, and, and conscientious in, in this sense means that they have a conscience, will automatically go into a state of, of shame or guilt, and then they are, again, very easily manipulated. Lobachevsky talks about this, that these kinds of individuals, they know exactly how to stride into your soul with jackboots, and terrify you, and you know, from your own your own fears of being guilty of hurting someone else, they know how to do it, and they do it with vigor and with glee. As Lobachevsky says, they view us from a certain distance, like a paraspecific variety, 
Natural human reactions, which often fail to elicit interest because they are considered self-evident, strike them as strange and therefore interesting, even comical. They therefore observe us, deriving conclusions, forming their different world of concepts. They become experts in our weaknesses and sometimes affect heartless experiments. The suffering and injustice they cause inspire no guilt within them, since they are a result of their being different and only apply to those other people they perceive to be not quite conspecific. So really what you're saying here, or what, what seems to be the conclusion, is that these people have, um, or they rather they lack uh, an ability to feel emotion or compassion for fellow human beings, and that they see this in other people, and they maybe look on it as some kind of a, as something strange and, and, and foreign to them, but they also see in it the, the, the great opportunity for them to, to manipulate uh, vast numbers of other people, and you're talking about 94%. Of the population, ninety-four percent. And just in some quick sums here, uh, it occurs to me that that uh, figure of six percent of the population uh, that uh, corresponds to this particular group of people equals three hundred and sixty million people out of the entire world population. Yeah, and three hundred and sixty million people is roughly the entire population of the U.S. combined with the entire population of the U.K. Uh oh. If, uh, if if they make up the six and the other 94 who uh, can be manipulated via their emotions, then this is what they're doing. And, yeah. and that gets us back to religion and uh, organized religions are loaded with emo- emotional manipulation in terms of life after death and uh, saviorship, etc., etc. And they play on the fears of, of, of natural human beings, normal human beings who... Who are conscientious. Well, that's why 8,000 U.S. soldiers are dead now in Iraq because they were emotionally manipulated by George Bush and the people behind to him. To conscientiously feel that they actually had to defend their country against 19 Arab terrorists, you know, who had nothing to do with Iraq. Many of whom are still alive. Yes. So looking at the idea of cults is, uh, uh, opens a whole can of worms, but as Lobachevsky says, you know, the necessity for studying this uh, and studying it in depth and for people to become aware of this cannot be overstated. It's, it's absolutely crucial. It's absolutely essential to know what you're dealing with because only then can you know how to stop it because there is another interesting thing that he talks about because as this group continued to study to learn, to collect data. Not only did they discover that their own mental hygiene was preserved, but that they were able to survive things that other people simply couldn't survive. Uh, Lobachevsky talks about the first time he was arrested in 1951. And at that point in time, he had no resistance whatsoever to what was being done to him because he was absolutely terrorized uh, by the events. and, And he... He doesn't go into any details, but you can guess from what he does say and what he doesn't say in reading between the lines that it was a pretty horrible ordeal. He was arrested for the last time in 1968. And at that point in time, not only was he able to stand up to them and and look them straight in the eye and tell them what he thought of them, but curiously enough, the very fact that he did this, which he, of course, you know, expected uh, to bring some kind of, you know, harsh retribution, that they were actually shocked by his by his strength and stamina of being able to stand up to them and stare them straight in the eye and tell them what he thought, and they released him, let him go. And that is the chief benefit of studying and knowing about these things, because you immunize yourself against it being used upon you. And it does nothing 
It has nothing to do with depriving you of human emotion because you begin to know and to understand exactly what kind of creature you are dealing with and how you must deal with them, that they are not like the other 94% of human beings on this planet who have emotions, you know, who are real people. Uh, let everyone know that since we have received this manuscript from Dr. Lobachevsky, that we have sent it to a professional editor who is going through it and cleaning up the text because, of course, it was translated from Polish into English. And uh, and then Dr. Lobachevsky himself, 84 years old, painfully retyped, you know, from the old faded material. And it was in pretty bad shape. So we're working on it, getting it together, and we're going to be publishing it. And it will be available probably in the next few months. We'll make an announcement on the website. Uh, but this definitely is a book that you will want to get, and you will want to get copies for all your friends, for anybody you love and care about, whose mental hygiene you would like to preserve through the times that we are living in right now, because let me tell you, I don't think it's going to get better fast. I think that if anything, it's going to get worse before it gets better. The possibility of getting better is, of course, there. Uh, for those who listened to the last podcast, uh, let me just... Uh, let me just note that I, I got an interesting email from a, a reader who sent me a, uh, a quote from a website where somebody uh, remarked that I sounded like I was talking with my teeth clenched. Uh, just so you'll know, I, my mouth has a, a very painful dental appliance uh, attached to my teeth, and, and it is a little bit difficult to a talk sometimes. It, it's temporary, but... Um, if I sound like I'm talking a little bit funny, it's because I have uh, a big chunk of metal in my mouth and it and it hurts. <laughs> so, so for those of you who think I'm talking through clenched teeth and that I'm gleeful about, you know, the dire prognostications uh, of, of what I see for the world, uh, trust me, it's not. I'm not gleeful because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I didn't think it mattered. And in the meantime, while we're preparing uh, Dr. Lobachevsky's book for publication, be sure to pay attention to future podcasts and science pages because you never know, we might just have to include a few more excerpts. Okay, I want to finish up this uh, discussion of the term cult by giving what is a recommended use of the term cult. Now, this is from www.religioustolerance.org. And this is an interesting group because they have analyzed this this cult issue, and what they what they have written here is that uh, we recommend that the word cult never be used in reports, articles, essays, sermons, etc., without careful definition in advance, and perhaps not even then. The negative associations linked to the word are so intense that its use will automatically lead to confusion and misunderstanding. We recommend using a term such as new religious movement alternative religious movement, emergent religion or faith group. These terms are more precise and have not yet been burdened by so many negative connotations as has cult. Using a term such as heretical or spiritual counterfeit to describe a faith group with whom you disagree on theological grounds. But be aware that the words heretical and heresy are relative terms. If group A considers group B to be heretical, then group B will probably consider group A to also be heretical. They will both be right relative to their own belief system. An even better usage is to simply refer to the group by its formal name. Of course, if you are an author, a public speaker, 
or a televangelist or teleminister who wants to direct public fear and hatred against any new religious group, then cult is an ideal word to use. But the use of the term may be irresponsible and immoral, depending upon your system of values. We suspect but cannot prove that some Internet websites, including many so-called counter-cult groups, those who mainly attack religious denominations and sects which promote novel beliefs and anti-cult groups, those who attack high-intensity new movements which require a strong commitment from their members. So he then goes on to say, Many religions started as sects. One well-known example was the Nazarenes. This was the reform movement within Judaism formed by Jesus' apostles after the execution of Jesus, circa 30 CE. And that's, of course, assuming that there was a Jesus who was executed. They were largely dispersed or killed some four decades later when the Romans attacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. So, sex can be considered normal mechanism by which new religious movements are generated. Most of them die out quickly, others linger, and others grow, just as Christianity did, and evolve into a new established religious movement and are properly called denominations. And what do they do? They steal believers away from the established religions. So there you have the justification on their part to denounce the new ones. It's a territory war. Exactly. So. Well, there's another thing I was thinking of as we were discussing in in one of some of the pages we've got here. They say that 90% of the people who are in these groups that are being labeled as cults end up leaving these groups eventually. So at the same time as we're talking about they're in a group where there's coercion and psychological pressure and all that, 90% of them end up leaving of their own free will. Anyway, and anyway. That's, that's statistical. So uh, so where's the danger? Yeah, yeah where's the, the danger? That just goes to highlight the fact that, that the word cult is, is a very highly emotional term and that it's it's obviously used to manipulate people and to get everyone fired up. And As I said, cult is a group that somebody doesn't like. And most particularly, the ones they don't like are anybody who does not get absolutely in line with the corporatocracy and the fundamentalist uh, underpinning of of that same globalization movement headed by George Bush, the neocons, and whoever else is associated with them who want to just go and bomb you know, any innocent group and, into, into the Stone Age because God told them to. And on that note, we're going to wrap it up. And as always, if you'd like to read more about the topics we discussed today, you can visit our site at www.signs-of-the-times.org. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. 